2: The Telegraph. Podcasts.
3: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, reaction to a 2-0 Chelsea win in which pad one learner Frank Lampard tactically outclasses Jedi Master Jose Mourinho and in the process reawakens the Tottenham manager's dark side. Tis the season to appoint new managers with surnames beginning with an A, will run the rule over Arteta, Ancelotti and a dreadful game between the two sides they need to fix... Plus, Liverpool are champions of the world, but does anyone care? Leicester lose some of their sparkle. Manchester United have a Hertfordshire nightmare before Christmas. And we ask our panel who are you putting at the top of your tree? Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina?
0: I'm like the world's most tired human being at the moment.
3: Come on, mate! It's Christmas.
0: I know, and and you know what it is. I, I was telling our producer Joel that maybe I'm just so well rested because I'm not doing that much that I just can't sleep at night. So I have amnesia, and now I'm not getting any sleep. So not amnesia. What's the other word? Insomnia. Uh,
3: insomnia yeah, clearly you're not firing on all cylinders. Like big run after this or something. Surely, like go and do something to run. Are you mad? I need yourself. to nap. Okay, okay, we'll we'll work it out. JJ Bull, how are you? Well rested?
4: Yes. Well, yes, I am. Good. I think it's important to be well-rested, or at least pretend.
3: (laughs) I agree. It feels a little bit like a weird job interview where you're trying to say something to please me.
4: Uh, that's, I mean, that, no.
3: No. Okay, good. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> what a, what a great natural start to today's what do you want episode! Me to see, Tom? I don't know, mate. I don't know. We're just trying to just That's trying to have a bit of levity weakness. in the beginning. Uh, it's it's a small um, but perfectly formed group today. We were going to be joined by Sam Dean, but he's had to head off to Arsenal to talk to Mikel Arteta. But we'll have him on the phone a little bit later. Let's start instead with Super Sunday, as it's written here on the script. Sun spelled S-O-N. Uh, once again, unfortunately, we've got to talk about racial abuse for Rudiger. This time uh, at Tottenham, you'd have thought in this case, Mina, it would be fairly easy to identify the culprit behind this, given the number of cameras at Tottenham. It's it's obviously the newest ground in the league. Uh, So you'd hope this will be dealt with quite quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is something that we're seeing. It's almost like making a return now all the time, all... I don't know what's really going on. Obviously, like you know, this is a huge issue in Italy that we're trying to target, evidently with poor artwork. But when it comes to England, the best thing is is for players to call it out, uh, for the protocol to be um, put out there and uh, executed it's annoying because whenever you speak about the subject, people always go, it's 2019, as in, you know, and we're going to go into the next decade and as if somehow the date is going to change everything. And I'm guilty of it too. And we are supposed to be further along. But a lot of the times I feel like on social issues, we're regressing in general in society and it's being reflected in our football. But yes, this is something that needs to be targeted. There needs to be cameras um, looking at who the people are. They should never be allowed back into the stadium. But I do agree that it should be something that we target... As a nation globally, because if you target this in society, you try to deal with the root of the problem, then it won't be reflected in our sport.
3: Yeah, very well said. Let's reluctantly start the VAR timer, please, Joel Grove. Sonny is presumably desperate to have Christmas Day off. Such was his uh, weird kick on the floor <laughs> into the chest of the Chelsea defender. And then there was this mad Gazaniga death uh, assault. <laughs> assault. God, I love that. Penalty. I love it. Both, both
4: correct decisions. Yeah, Son seems to think he can get away with these sorts of things because he's like he's everyone's mate. He's got a record, mate. hasn't he? Yeah, he does it all the time, his little petulant things. I get it because I think I'm quite nice when I play football as well, like Sonny seems to be, but then then again you leave a little bit in. And oh, wait, like, what so I so do doing? what he'd do. And uh, Son's done that a few times before, but he's not got away with it now because of VAR, and he's like, oh, I can't believe this. But then the penalty is hilarious. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> on the old, I think it was FIFA 99, me and some people on Twitter worked out that there was a button you could push to do a deliberate foul Bit. Like that's a proper like flying through the air kick. No need. You could easily have caught it. Fantastic. It was
3: good I VAR. Right. We we had we had a good VAR game. Those were two things that went yeah, the yeah. other way in the initial decision. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Do we also have a one minute time here for for talking nicely about VAR? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> what about Tottenham in this game? They were all over the shop. Uh,
0: yes.
4: It's, it's funny, so Mourinho's been talking a lot about how he's had no time to work in the training ground to do anything with his players, so the, th- the ideas he wants to put across, he's not had time. This is the first week he's had to work with them, but because of the upcoming fixtures and the busy schedule before, he gave them two days off at the start of the week to, I guess, rest, which is important, make sure the players are on side with you and things like that. But then he turned up at the game and Lampard changed his system to, to match Spurs, got it dead right. There's a, a couple of things with it. I don't think it was a masterclass that Lampard put on. He's effectively doing what Antonio Conte used to do. It's the same team. Even Alonso was back in the side, so it's basically exactly the same thing. Conte um, uh, uh, and Kovacic in the middle of the pitch is a lot like what Conte had before when he was there. Um, rather than Jorginho was a bit of a liability in a two. You can't really have him doing that job. And the way it worked was that, because Spurs line up with the Kane as a nine, Deli behind him as a as a ten, effectively a second striker Chelsea had three centre-backs so that's three versus two so you can outnumber them but because they, uh, because when Chelsea, when Chelsea played out from the back they had a three so Spurs' front three couldn't really get to them and they always had a spare man wide to move the ball so they could progress up the lines really quickly but when Spurs had the ball and they move into a back three because Vertonghen tucks in and Aurier pushes up, it meant that Alonso could then um, block Aurier, so he's not available for an option. I mean, whoever was on the other side was blocked by the other wing-back, so they couldn't get forward. And you saw that they, rather than have Mount and William wide, trying to press the other centre-backs, they stayed just in between them both, so there was no real forward option. So Spurs were stuck in their own half. Distribution was poor, but that's because Chelsea blocked it really well, and they weren't able to get with their own half. I <laughs> thought Chelsea were just decent.
0: I love that you you refer to it as like the Antonio Conte way because I was surprised that no one else had said that and I was like that that's what, what's really funny is that William who
4: Mourinho did <laughs> Oh, After did the he? game yeah. oh I didn't listen to he's, that said, well he's it's this a thing it's I know the mask is going to slip and I think it started already <laughs> <laughs> but he goes rather than being like I think the suggestion was that that Lampard had performed some sort of tactical miracle like Lampard's a decent coach mm. and he, and it, it, what he's done is clever yeah. But it's the basic response to what he knew Mourinho would do, and I thought Mourinho might be a bit smarter actually with it. But, uh, he but did Lampard, make yeah, to well he did, yeah. But but Lampard um, could play that system well because Chelsea's players are completely like all okay with it, like they know the system, which is what Mourinho said that he'd played a Conte's a system that Conte had them familiar with, so it worked. Whereas Mourinho couldn't. Can't switch his because his players are only really good in a couple of them, which aren't very different.
0: It's, it's funny that William, who just liked Conte the most, was the best player in Conte's
4: system. <laughs> <laughs> he was brilliant yesterday. I really love William. What a wonderful
3: finish that uh, first goal! But you know what? I really do feel as well.
0: like, as much as he he's been amazing for 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 a long time now, I feel like he's really grown. Um, a, a lot of the times, what used to bother me was that he was almost too fast for the team, and so he always had to sort of check his. His passing—it was either, you know, it was—it it was almost like he, yeah, exactly. No one could keep keep up with him except for, I would say, Hazard at the time. But now he's the perfect guy to add to the the team. His touching, his passing, the way that he controls the ball—he really was. Uh, and Mason Mount was fantastic on another level as well. That that desire to make the the clever runs to push forward to to find the spaces to really was a very good job.
3: Yeah, very impressive from Spurs. Uh, We should also have a word from Jeremy Wilson now on uh, the death of Martin Peters over the weekend.
1: Desperately sad news this weekend with the passing of Martin Peters. He's the fifth member of England's 1966 World Cup winning team to have died. The second in 2019 following the death earlier in the year of Gordon Banks. Peters, of course, scored the second goal in the 1966 World Cup final. A match that ultimately became synonymous with Sir Geoff Hurst, his friend and teammate at West Ham but I think what's often forgotten is that just how close Peters came to becoming the, the main headline himself he scored the sec, England second goal, it was within seconds of being the match winning goal, only an equaliser in the 89th minute forced the game into extra time and obviously allowed for Hurst to score his two goals, but I think what's really come across over the weekend is just what a great player Peters was a goal scoring midfielder Sir Ralph Ramsey said he was 10 years ahead of his time, there's been a lot of comparisons in the last 48 hours with Delhi Ali and Frank Lampard Lampard feels like the best comparison when you look at the statistics but also the trophies that he won both with West Ham and Tottenham he was a winner and a real legend in English football martin peters was 76 when he died he'd been living with dementia for around seven years and it was in 2016 that his family announced publicly that he had been diagnosed with alzheimer's it's a disease that we now know is impacting former footballers footballers at rates significantly above the general population of peters 1966 teammates nobby Stiles is currently living with dementia and ray wilson died of the disease last year jack charlton is suffering significant memory loss and the Manager of the 66 team, Sir Alf Ramsey, also had dementia before his death. Research published in October by the University of Glasgow found that former professional footballers are five times more likely to die of Alzheimer's disease. So Peter's death has really highlighted what has long been an often unseen dementia crisis among a large number of former professional players. The FA did actually announce on Friday that they would look into introducing limits on heading in training in an effort to minimise head impacts. And while there is also much that could be done to mitigate risks with much stronger concussion protocols, I really hope that football, with all its wealth, will also now really step up and address the issue of supporting families in terms of the care that is needed for those players who are living with brain disease.
3: Second part of Super Sunday was, of course, Watford with another fantastic performance, uh, another game that went against uh, the grain slightly. We weren't sure about Nigel Pearson, Mina, but is this a sign of things to come for them?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that obviously he had, uh, with Manchester United arriving late to the party, uh, (laughs) Nigel Pearson had even more time to spend with his players, takes on a a super hands-on approach, um, created a side that was well organised at the back, very aggressive in midfield, and to be quite honest, lucky going forward in the sense that, you know, De Gea had uh, a shocking uh, day and and of course like the defending leaning up to it wasn't exactly great. You could see in the mobility of his players and the desire, their energy, they were all happy to team up and sacrifice for one another, join up and, and try to stop the opposition. Um, they were disciplined positionally and the intensity showed and I think that obviously Manchester United once again came into this game sort of, you know, um, expected to do something and we all, as we consistently talk about, when they are asked to, to keep possession and show something special, sometimes they look too slow um, and just unbothered. Really, I mean, Paul Pogba came and 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 changed the match, but all in all, they don't know how to really build attacks unless it is that long ball, which Pogba also also provided at the end, or unless they're counter attacking. I think there's a problem otherwise.
3: It was odd with the hair because there was that clangor before the goal causing clangor where he was. Fouled at a corner. Apparently, I wasn't completely convinced that was a foul at the corner. But you would have thought once you've done that, that would prevent you from doing something um, so brain farty uh, later on in the same game.
4: It's difficult to, to tell what De Gea is thinking, but he's not been the great De Gea of the last that he's meant to be for the last couple of seasons. I think he's not been very good for Spain really ever. He's made a lot of mistakes there. I mean, he's made two errors leading to goals this season. The Man United have made five uh, this season. Your stats there, but if he's one of their best players and he's making errors, it's not. You can sort of see where United are. Do you and think like, it's
0: a psychological thing. Probably, like he's just fed up. Got,
4: got to be for that. It's a bit one, of confidence. Yeah, a bit of confidence. You, you feel bigger and stronger if you're confident, and then you can hold on to those sorts of things. He just reads it a bit wrong, and you can tell he's like he knows what he's done as soon as it goes in. It happens, but like we always say, the goalkeeper they make one error and that's the goal. I think there's a weird thing with this game so like you're touching on Mina so notice this a few weeks ago in some analysis that did at Manchester United that when they have the majority possession they tend to lose or draw Mm. Uh, and the more possession they have the worse the result tends to be like they lose 2-1 to Palace 1-0 to Newcastle with about 70% of possession but they do beat teams like City and Leicester and Chelsea when they are given less of the ball because the players they have are set up to counter-attack but Solskjaer has clearly worked on things well his coaching staff have during the week and in recent weeks to try to stop this from happening. And that is by getting the ball quickly through the lines to break down this midfield block that people put up. So Watford versus a four-five-one, which is basically a, a line of two lines of what well, yeah, you basically have two lines of midfielders in front of the defense. So McTominy and Fred aren't great at distributing the ball. When you look at their pass maps, everything is sideways. Or backwards. Fred's getting a bit better at progressing play, McTominay goes sideways always. So Lindelof and Maguire were the ones who were basically the playmakers, mm. firing the ball through lines into the forwards. And United were getting chances out of this and Lingard especially makes really good third man runs in behind and that's where he got his chance, which he put over the bar. If he'd scored that, United would instantly be able to sit back in the counter and that's where they're best at and I think they would have strolled to a 2 or 3 nil win against Watford. But the players aren't taking the chances Solskjaer's planning is correct Like the way he set them up is is the right way to do it and there's things they're doing that make a difference when Pogba comes on totally agree change the game because he could hit those balls that uh, split defence straight away but also his positioning he was taking up space between the lines later on in the game which is forcing Watford back so as soon as he was on United had even more of the ball but squeezed the pitch because Watford would push back because Pogba was in position and then they were able to do these little There's little patterns of play they've got where one player fires the ball forward, one guy touches it off with his first touch to another who plays it forward, and then there's an overlap run from the side. And you can see they do it quite a lot. It's definitely done on the training ground, and it works, but there's just not finishing chances.
0: Yeah, but is this... You see, my issue with this is that even when Paul Pogba came on, and obviously he's a change the game because he is one of those players that firstly his passing range is, is ridiculously beautiful. But it, it, it sort of does seem a little bit like what they try to do. They do have a, a weak midfield. That was something that everyone spoke about even in the summer. It, it kind of just overlook looks like, you know, like let's just deliver balls that, over you know um, go over the midfield and straight to the forwards that's because this is what it is and even when Pogba came on he had like a one-two um he did push up but the other times it was
2: these long passes over
3: hopefully some happier times coming soon for Manchester United but very well done for Watford good performance for them
2: hi I'm Claire Newell when I tell people I'm the Telegraph's investigations editor they sometimes ask me if it means I'm a spy and have lots of disguises And there is a bit of blending into the background, but generally, I spend lots of time working with sources, piecing together evidence to reveal wrongdoing and hold the powerful to account. Our stories question, scrutinise and inform, but we can't do that without the support of our subscribers. Their contribution allows us to dedicate time to stories, such as our investigation into the allegations that Sir Philip Green had sexually and racially harassed staff, So if you'd like to support what we're doing and get unlimited access to a huge range of quality journalism on politics, sport, business, culture and more, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash audio, where you can get 30 days free access to the Telegraph online. And after that, it's just two pounds a week. That's telegraph.co.uk forward slash audio. Or click on the link in the show notes to this episode.
3: The boy wonder, Sam Dean, joins us in his car, on his way to see Mikel Arteta, Sam. uh, Arteta watched his team against Everton on Saturday. What do you think he would have made of Arsenal's performance and what's going to be at the top of his in-tray?
5: I think they actually looked more solid than usual against Everton, um, which is a sign of progress to some extent, but also they had absolutely nothing going forward. Um, The team selection was bordering on Hilarious from Freddie Jumberg who basically decided that I've got one game left and I'm going to go down swinging (laughs) and binned off all the senior players including Meza Ozil who had a foot injury but Jumberg said uh, yeah Meza couldn't play because he's got a foot problem but even if he was fit I wouldn't have picked him which I really enjoyed Um, gloriously needless sort of beef there but clearly uh, for the last three weeks Jumberg's been trying very hard to get the senior players to buy into what he's trying to do, and they clearly haven't done that based on his uh, unhappiness with them and the fact that he's basically bombed them all out in favour of the kids who he's worked with for a couple of years and really liked. Um, but as for Arteta, uh, I think the main, the main issue is, is the midfield and sorting that out. I think both made a bit of progress there in terms of solidity and making them have an actual shape, which they lacked under Unai Emery when it was just completely chaotic. Um, I think if you fix that, then that should protect the defence more, and it should free up the attackers a bit more too. But there are so many issues in that team. Lack of confidence, uh, lack of goal scores beyond Aubameyang. Uh, it and be interesting to see where he starts and how long it takes for Arteta to impose the sort of style of play, which we can only assume will be similar to what Pep Guardiola does at City.
3: So set our expectations for us, Sam, because it feels like on one hand you could argue Arteta is a very highly regarded coach. Everyone who's been close to him and seen him work at City is, is very impressed with him. The other argument, of course, is that he's never managed a football match in his life. Uh, what are you expecting from him? Um, well, I'm not expecting
5: anything drastic immediately. Um, he said, Last week on his unveiling press conference, he said in the, sort of, to, to the newspaper reporters afterwards upstairs in the director's box, he said, um, you can't build a, a process like a similar to a Guardiola-esque process. Right now, because they haven't got the time, they haven't got a pre-season. There's two games, two or three games a week for the next two months, pretty much for Arsenal. So he's going to have, to, in his words, he needs to find an immediate, short-term impact first, and then build the process after that. Which I think I took to mean don't expect Guardiola sort of esque tiki-taka anytime soon, which I think is interesting in its own right. I don't expect him to sort of completely revolutionise the team uh, in terms of their style of play, but I do expect him to. Get them playing with a bit more cohesive pressing, more intensity, a bit more organised, a bit more disciplined. And he, was quite, he said himself, I'm going to be quite ruthless. If players aren't buying into what I want to do, then they're not going to play. So you can only assume that the likes of Ozil, Lacazette maybe, even Granit and maybe even Yang are going to have to sort of fix up, look sharp, or they're going to be in trouble
3: bring some dizzy rascal energy to Arsenal Uh, what about off the pitch Sam it was interesting I thought on Saturday you could hear in the stands there were some chants from the Arsenal fans about Arsenal fan TV and them not being entirely happy with them and then there were some uh, arguments after the game as well which were on social media how disillusioned and divided are the fan base at the moment
5: yeah it's pretty grim Um, I mean the Arsenal fan TV debate is almost a whole separate issue on its own we could do that for a good two hours but um fans turning on each other is never great fans turning on their own team is never great and we've seen both of that quite a lot this season already Um, obviously the granite Xhaka booing and subsequent uh, stripping of the captaincy was the most obvious example of that disillusionment sort of seeping onto the pitch and affecting the the players Uh, the the fan TV thing is interesting because obviously the the main accusation against Arsenal fan TV is that they uh, create a climate of negativity which causes sort of extremist views to flourish. Yet, I would argue that shouting, get out of our club, get out of our club, is also creating negativity and only fueling that further. So I'm not quite sure what the answer is here. But uh, you can only see this one rumbling on. Unless, unless of course, Arteta has an Im- immediate impact. They beat Bournemouth 3-0 on Boxing Day. and Suddenly, everyone's happy again. It's a new era. And all the people who get angry have changed their Twitter pictures to black and white ones of Arteta looking moody and saying, you know, at, at Arteta Ball, 1,004 all that kind of thing, and everyone's
3: happy again until the next crisis. A wonderful vision of the future, Sam. Thank you very much. Drive safely. Thanks,
4: Doug.
3: Sorry for the noise. Never apologise. Should we ever talk about Carlo Ancelotti, Everton, understandably, their fans are pretty excited about appointing such a high-profile manager with such a brilliant track record, but it is an odd one. Does he have much of a record in sorting out bang-average teams, which is what Everton
4: are? The only team that you can sort of compare it to would be, he was at Reggiana for not for too long, but even at Parma he inherited a team that had, for example, Gigi Buffon, Lillian Churam, Enrico Hard <laughs> uh, Hernan Crespo, all the rest. It's that, that dream team you get in Championship Manager. Mm-hmm. He's a His style of management has been to be quiet and calm. He likes to get responses and opinions from his staff and players likes to involve everyone and then to makes the right decision. He's also been talked of as a real tactical mastermind. He's um, introduced a lot. I mean, I was talking to Mina about this for a piece I wrote and you were telling me he was made up the Christmas tree and moved Pierlo back to deep line playmaker. Midfield.
0: Playmaker, yeah. Um, he also wrote a book about the Christmas tree. Um, he In
4: football, not just the trees you know,
0: yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I said in, in the Christian football formations um, I think that he's evolved because he was a guy that was quite wedded to a certain philosophy at the time he spoke about not finding a place for the likes of Roberto Baggio in his formation and so it was like, oh, I've got to give him up because this is the kind of team that I want to play and then obviously with time he realised that Being pragmatic meant that you have to adapt to the players that you had. Um, And then what he was really good at, I mean, I know that he's always, always had spectacular players. I mean, honestly, at Milan, even at Parma, um, Bayern, Real Madrid, it's always been just a collection of exquisite footballers who can all think on their feet. And... Despite that, though, I do want to say that he manages to create this cohesive unit. And for me, nothing was more beautiful than Real Madrid in his last season. He went on an 18-match run at the time, a winning run, and he did so without any defensive presence in midfield, with effectively what was just a bunch of number 10s. Do you think he'll work at Everton, though?
4: I think it will be okay, but the, he won't be able to get much more out of the group of players that he already has, and that is Everton's big problem. They're kind of stuck where they are, because the players they have, like we said so many times before, are of a level below that of teams above them. The The benefit he's got is that um, he'll get time because of his name, which is important, and he'll get transfer windows to change things. But if 18 months' time, which is what Everton manager seem to get, he hasn't improve so the win ratio of every single Everton manager since David Moyes is about 42% 41% no ones get higher Roberto Martinez is the highest with 42.8 I think something like that Ronald Koeman come after him Sam Allardyce was lower then all managed to keep them above uh, above relegation he, uh, he likes being a four-four-two. he's done that a lot of times to good success he did it really recently with Napoli to get a draw out of Liverpool and he beat them as well using that formation he's got Duncan Ferguson he'll provide the fire behind the scenes but Ancelotti likes to be calm, so I'm not sure how that quite works. Like you're bouncing out the cool with the with a yeah. hot, which is another thing that makes doesn't really make sense. But the big problem I think for Ancelotti, regardless of how good a tactician or motivator he is, is the players are all right. And that's I there, actually no. don't
0: know if he is. It's strange because I actually not sure if he is this great motivator. Um, he, you know, like he famously in Bayern like lost the players because they were like having all these intense, high, high training sessions behind his back because it was like, ooh, you know. And then he came out saying, "I don't kill my players in training." Um, my issue is that he's always played or rather presided over a team that had players that were on another level of professional. So I'm talking about taking on like Clarence Seedorf and Andrea Pirlo and Gattuso and then all having like Ronaldo or having, you know, Sergio Ramos. You don't really need to go to these guys and be like, you really need to give it your all against Aleves. You know, you kind of just know that Ronaldo's going to want to score 10 because, you know, this is the time. At Napoli, he didn't have those players. And he found a team that was sometimes depressed, that felt like the president wasn't grateful to, to what they've given. And I don't know at Everton whether he's going to need to be a little bit more of a... Right, you need to be a little a more authoritative. I'm not sure if he has the players that can sort of not... Need him as much, and so he doesn't need to be the good guy that takes away the pressure. He needs to add the pressure, is my in my opinion, a bit like Chris Wilder, my, my favorite man. Well, um, I would say <laughs> that would be
4: actually a perfect kind of manager for Everton with someone who can make. I think they need to build something that takes them to a certain place, and then appoint someone who can take them up to the next level, There's rather than just constantly throwing money at the same average yeah. team.
3: There's the solution for eighteen months from now. Let's stay on Merseyside <laughs> and very quickly move to Qatar and talk about Liverpool who have won the Club World Cup. Two 1-0 wins. The first one a very, very late goal in normal time. The second one in extra time. Is anyone else beginning to get real Sir Alex Ferguson peak Manchester United vibes from this Liverpool team? They just seem to inevitably win games now.
4: I think they're brilliant. I absolutely love watching them. And they've been so, so bad to watch for for many years. It's really average, those kind of games where they should win but end up losing 1-0. I think Klopp's got them playing just great football and uh, like Roberto Firmino might be their best player if not the best in the league just now but you notice him more when he's not there it's really weird when he comes on they came on against Monterey and instantly Liverpool were miles better he scored the winner in that game and he also scored the winner in the, uh, the actual final He every time he comes off the bench he's, he's done it four times this season he's either providing an assist or a, or a goal he links everything together but like I said when, when he's not on the, on the pitch you you notice because Liverpool don't they're not the same they can't break down teams
0: yeah, for, for the way that they play their football, he's absolutely essential because he just brings it all together. He's like the glue that brings them all in. But he
4: doesn't get those glamour stats. He doesn't get, like, goals or assists, that many. Do you but know I,
0: he's that guy. He's like Benzema. No one cares, right? Like <laughs> As in, like, the guy can, like, do everything in the world and everyone will be like, yeah, but is he really Aguero? You know, and you're like, oh, my God, he's, like,
3: amazing. <laughs> what about this tournament, Mina? It's, there's a sense it's not that big a deal in this country, but is it held in high regard elsewhere around the world?
0: Um... A lot of Europeans, no, don't hold it. And I think that you always tend to be a little bit snobby about things that you know that you're going to win (laughs) because you're just better. Um, It's a huge deal in South America. Um, They, you know, for them, they'll, like, uh, Corinthians at the time took like 22,000 fans to play Chelsea uh, in 2012. Um, whereas Chelsea, I think, had like a, a thousand fans over there. There's a huge difference for them. This is something that they go and watch. They they think that they have a chance of doing something special. I don't know whether the new format in 2021 will bring in more people and more interest. Um, Real Madrid certainly took it seriously. They you know they did want to win these games. I think teams in general, and I thought Liverpool wanted to win it because it's the first time and it's the it's the trophy they didn't have.
4: I think it's great. I I love it. I've always thought it's an awesome competition, but I think. Like everything, especially in, well, in Britain, I don't know what the rest of Europe's like, but the snob snobbiness about it comes from not knowing much about it. It's a bit of ignorance that people don't know who Monterey are or who... You know, they heard of these teams like Corinthians or Flamengo, but they don't actually know who plays for them, who they are, so they can't judge how good they are. Therefore, it must be some foreign nonsense, and the <laughs> Liverpool walk them don't over. Do
0: you kind of feel like it's like the bad, ugly sister of even the Europa League? Because I feel like no one cares about the Europa League. No,
4: <laughs> I mean I care deeply. Yeah, <laughs> deeply. I like the Europa League. So I think because it's the world, it's the world club cup thing, and you only qualify for it by getting to the Champions League. It should be held in higher regard, and mm, it would be. There okay. were more money into it, probably. But it's, I, I really think it's got to do a lot with people not knowing much about it and who the teams are that they're playing against.
3: More money required in football. That's JJ. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's have a rattle through the rest of the Premier League now. There was a terrific game at Airline Stadium North where <laughs> Jamie Vardy scored a fantastic goal continuing his brilliant run, but then Manchester City just overwhelmed Leicester in the end. Was this a reality check for Brendan Rodgers' team, JJ?
4: Not as much a reality check as that Leicester can see where they are. they are. That sounds like a reality check.
0: <laughs> well, I don't yeah, think... that's exactly the definition of a reality <laughs> check. But I don't
4: think they thought for a minute they'd realistically be that they're better than City or that they'd really push them to hold the seat. I mean, City, I'd imagine would catch them up and get above them to second and we'll push Liverpool for the end of it. Leicester have a great team and we'll get there, but it just takes time for that that winning mentality to cultivate inside it. They've, they've got almost everything, a bit of a small squad, but City... Haven't been great lately, so it's good to see that they've turned up again. Yeah. I felt
0: like it wasn't Leicester, though. Like, I couldn't say to you this was all like, you know, typical Leicester and, and, and this was typical City having a game. I just felt like sort mm. of Leicester didn't show up.
3: I, I just thought City were just fantastic in this game. Yeah, I they complete. I, I thought it was a real sort of show of dominance.
4: And yeah, as JJ says, I, when I'm
0: you not, have I'm, Kevin De Bruyne in. yeah, and
4: Rogers adjusted as well. Like, he changed the way his team set up so they would this just put the I... ball over the top for Vardy, which is kind of, it makes sense. It's a sensible tactical choice.
0: Yeah, I guess so, but then they didn't win any of the balls in the in the first half. They were just, they they weren't as strong in possession. I didn't feel like, I, I feel like they got very intimidated in the first half.
4: Maybe, but then, like I think what Tom's saying that City were so good with the ball. And on another, another day, so they played another three times that game. The ball might drop a different way a couple of times and they break and they... But you still think it'll be another. a
0: City win? Uh,
4: not necessarily. I think Leicester will beat them. City are the better team and they yeah. should have won that they game. They are
0: the better team, yeah. But yeah. yeah.
3: Two teams Mina Rizuki is deeply in love with played on the South Coast. How impressive were Sheffield United in seeing off Brighton, Mina?
0: OK, I'm not that in love with Brighton. You're in love, <laughs> I, you're in love with Graham Potter. But I do like Graham Potter, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what it is that I love so much about Sheffield United. Um, is it the fact that they know how to defend? Is it the fact that they have this beautiful line of five and then three in midfield? And, they, and you know what it is? That, Unlike teams like Arsenal, for example, who sometimes when you have players that run at you, they just keep dropping back and back. They actually do proactive defending. So they are so not, not only are they perfectly disciplined and organized at the back, but they try to win back possession. They try to tackle you. They win their aerial duels. They're, they're just so good. And then, and then going forward, I mean, I would really like it if McGoldrick was a little bit more efficient. but the How much these two work, how annoying they are for the opposing centre-backs, you know, they're just a side that don't have sort of... You looked at Brighton and what I I do love the way that they play their football as well and I do think Potter's amazing, but they do make a lot of mistakes. And Matthew Ryan isn't exactly the world's... You know, I mean, he, he he was really happy to get Vard to sort of, you know, give him the reprieve on the two mistakes that he made, but... Sheffield United for me are just such a well balanced team that are so good going forward that are so good defending that kind of balance is the reason why they are where they are and teams like Villa are fighting.
3: Yeah, one of the stories of the season uh, Sheffield United it'd be interesting to see what Brighton do perhaps with a bit of money at some point and, uh, yeah. and Potter there you would have thought for the long term there's definitely you would expect some improvements to be had there. What about Villa JJ big win for Southampton who seem to be much better away than at home but Looks like the wheels are coming off a little bit now for Aston Villa. With, with, there was the talk at the beginning of the season that people were reminded of Fulham in the previous season when they bought a whole new team and it, it's looking a bit more like that way for Villa now and now they've lost John McGinn as well for several months which is terrible news.
4: Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if the wheels... Have the wheels come off or they are just never really properly on? Like they were, I agree with that. Yeah, mm. Villa, Villa are fine. I don't think of, at any point I've thought they were really great. I think is a good moment... Uh, McGinn is massive but teams have sort of figured out if you can outnumber McGinn and Grealish in the middle of the park they're really weak in other places Mings is a good defender but you know one man doesn't make a defence uh, the goalkeeper's fine uh, the goalkeeper Wesley this, goalkeeper, this forward Wesley's been alright as well they just lack a few players that are as good as others and teams around them of a similar level like I'd even put maybe Newcastle in a similar sort of quality of player that they have are just playing a super defensive, relying on one chance of a counter attack kind of game, but Villa want to play the Aston Villa way, the, God, the Dean so Smith funny. way, and it's it doesn't yeah, work yeah, if the players aren't
0: good enough. Can okay. I just say one thing yes, that you said do. that they're so good at home and there's just being it's always being spoken about with Southampton. Mm-hmm. Sorry, being better away than at home. Yes. Can I just read the games? It's Liverpool United. Manchester United, Bournemouth, Chelsea, Leicester and Everton that they played at home. Right. That's a hard bunch of of teams. And the ones that they won away, I mean, yes, it is Brighton and Sheffield United that we've just spoken about, but they both suffered a red card in those games. So they were playing against 10 men effectively. Um, you know, then it's Norwich and, and, and what, like, I just feel like that's why it looks like they're just so much better away. Yeah. And I just wanted to clarify.
3: That. A fair defence. What about Newcastle United, Mina? Unbeaten in their last eight at home in the Premier League. Um, St. James's Park, not as many people there as they used to be, but becoming a real fortress. Get Steve Bruce's statue outside, right?
0: I know, I love him. Um, it's it's funny, you know. I mean, obviously Benitez was great, but he was a tactician. The, the the aura at the club was, you know, a little bit anxious, and and people were at the time, well, still are, angry at the ownership, but. What you have with Steve Bruce is that not necessarily defense first and then we'll see what happens and try to get a goal. It's a little bit like, let's Taylor make these, you know, tactics depending on who the opponent is. He obviously had more money to spend as well. But it just looks like the environment, you know, the way that Almiron like celebrated, it just seems to be a very happy environment. And that kind of thing breeds success. It breeds confidence. And everyone there just looks... To be really having a good time, Benitez a lot of the time isn't the kind of guy that you want to sort of you know you want to rush to training to see. This is where Ancelotti is that kind of guy, and I do think like with Steve Bruce, I want to play for him because it just looks like it's a great time over yeah, there. I'm, sh-
3: I'm sure he could use you mean a busy Christmas so. period coming yeah. up. Mm. Absolutely brutal game at Dean Court between Bournemouth and Burnley five shots across both teams and uh, I saw Duncan Alexander tweeting that Riyad Mahrez had double that himself for <laughs> Manchester City on Saturday. Um I wonder if you saw the XG for this one JJ and uh, I wonder if you think we should dock Burnley and Bournemouth points for fouling up our sport. <laughs> uh
4: Yes Michael Kelly graphics uh, he's got a good XG model and he has it at 0.2 versus 0.2. That is bad. That's Basically nothing. Five oh games. God. Five yeah.
3: Five games of that you'd have to watch to see Although, two goals. Although,
4: in fairness, Everton versus Arsenal was 0.5 and 0.7. So it's not a huge amount better. But yeah, it, the good thing with Bournemouth is that they keep beating good teams and then losing to teams like Burnley. So it's important that they get at least a draw out of this because they're wasting the points gained by beating teams like Chelsea, stuff like that. So at least there's a positive to that, I guess, in, the, in one regard. Showing a bit more solidity defensively. Perhaps. Perhaps. Just seem convinced. Perhaps.
3: Play that funky music, Joel Grove. It's time for A Song for Europe. So, Mina, 17 games now into Serie A and Inter and Juve are level at the top on points. Juve played in a very strange game at the uh, weekend, which I'm sure you can explain to us. But this is an exciting title race shaping up in Italy. Yeah,
0: finally, we actually have a a proper title race and one that possibly Juventus may lose. Um, Only because Antonio Conte is back in the picture, as we know, at Inter. And because what they do have is a a wonderful forward line and a strong defence that sometimes tends to fall asleep. But... Juventus are just not looking that great under Sadi. They were defeated in the Supercoppa. The Supercoppa is your equivalent of... What was it you called? The Community Shield. The Community Shield, that's the one. Uh, where the winners of the Coppa Italia take the winners of the league on. Played so in December, obviously. In December, in Riyadh, in Saudi Arabia, because, you know, like, that's where the money is. And... Um, Second season, I believe, that has been played in Saudi Arabia. And uh, Juventus were dire. Lazio was stunning. They are in stunning form at the moment, won eight in a row. And Zag is doing a terrific job. But um, as for Inter, it was against Genoa. They've had a hard week. You know, they dropped out of the Champions League, early Italian team to do so. Um, So it's it's good times for them. Genoa, of course, are about to probably sack their second coach now. So, really hard times for that team.
3: What about in Spain? How is that title race shaping up?
0: It's, uh, it's an interesting one because there's a lot of players who've come out. Z- Zinedine Zidane, one of the main reasons why he left Real Madrid was because he just didn't he couldn't win the league, basically, and despite the fact that he was just like dominating the Champions League, he was getting really angry that he didn't have a team that could he mould that he could mould and make them consistent. Now they've all come out and said this is the league, this is our priority. Um, sadly, they got another draw against uh, Athletic Bilbao. That was that's following the draws against Valencia and Barcelona. They are a really stunning team to watch, and in the Clasico against the very best in Barcelona, Madrid were the better team. But what you do have in Barcelona is Messi who can make the difference in matches. And right now they are three points ahead and leading them. And it's up to them to see whether or not they can be consistent enough to push off the challenge from Madrid.
3: And over in Germany, it's energy drink Leipzig leading the Bundesliga. I wonder, Mina, are they a widely liked team in Germany, these new pretenders to winning the league?
0: According to a survey that was taken, I think it was about a year ago or two, they are the second most hated team after Bayern Munich. But obviously everyone always hates winners, right? Uh, Leipzig are hated because essentially what they are is a team that plays football in order to sell a product and a lifestyle Um, when, you know, everyone else is out there, you know, for the integrity of football because it's a sport, because the... The fans uh, own it and have a vote in it, whereas at one point they only had 17 voting members in their 50 plus one rule. So they are supposed to be everything that one dislikes in, in the new world of football, which is money and consumerism and just, you know, co- making commercial uh, Activity the most important thing in the world and not necessarily focusing on what Dortmund do or other teams do, which is building from grassroots and creating a side that makes people happy with fans that are have a right to vote. But they are doing tremendously well under Julian Nagelsmann. We've heard so much about this man who's a disciple of Pep Guardiola in many ways. But he has a very fun and dynamic team at the moment. They've got Timo Werner who scored 18 league goals, just one behind uh, Lewandowski on 19. Um And just a a squad with uh, a a lot of talent in it, English talent, French talent. Whether or not they can keep their position, my money's still on Bayern and Hansi Flick.
3: Right, let's finish off the show with some Christmas levity and a question we put to our friends on social media. Uh, I saw a couple of GIFs in response to this, but unfortunately GIFs will not be tolerated. This is an audio product. You need to use your words. Here's the question. Which person from the world of football would you put at the top of your Christmas tree, JJ Bull?
4: I would put Leo Messi, he's the boy. Or and he's
3: only little, so he might
4: he might, it, fit. It might Work, yeah. Casper Schmeichel, when he goes to dive, he jumps out like a star sometimes. Oh, nice! And that would fit nicely. Lovely answer. Yeah. Mina,
0: you know what? You should have like sort of Ronaldo just doing a header, and that's how he reaches the top. Oh, okay. Of the... But um, I, I, I kind of like it to be uh, Roy Keane, just because you know, just just, but like you know, with like horrible words being spoken every time you walk past there. <laughs>
2: I mean, Roy Keane
4: does often act like he's had a Christmas tree put up him, <laughs> That's so. why I,
0: I just like it. It's kind of like, you know, it's it, it, you could just shout, shout abuse. A bit like a Grinch, you know, at the top of your Christmas tree. Uh, he
4: hides underneath it and pops his head out. Very
0: Christmas-y.
4: Yeah, <laughs> That's your lot for this
3: week. You can contact me on Twitter if you want to. You can wish me a happy Christmas if you want to. Why not? At Tom with an H Gibbs is where you need to go on there. Don't forget to send us an email as well. It's Podcast at telegraph.co.uk. We will, of course, read out the best of what you send us. Subscribe to Audio Football Club. You know you want to. Just look for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you for your company. Have a lovely Christmas. I'll talk to you again soon.